We are about to start week three of our series, Reset. And today we're going to be talking about what does it look like to return and what are we returning to? So let's get started. Happy Father's Day. Whoa, that's hot. Happy Father's Day. How are you guys doing? Good to have you guys this morning. Great to see all your faces uh, as we're returning back to this building. Um, I wanted to first off start and say thank you for the dads that came out. Uh, Father's Day is an interesting day. Uh, all of us have had um, good or bad experiences with our dads, and I understand that this day can bring up emotions. Uh, whether you're a, a father that is longing for, or a, a man that is longing for children, or possibly you have a strained relationship with your father, uh, maybe a great relationship with your father, I understand that today is a day uh, that we acknowledge the imprint and the impact of our dads on our lives. We are who we are because of our dads, good or bad. Um, who here has said the things that my dad did, like when you were a kid, you're just like, that. I will never do that. Anybody say that? And then how many of those same people actually have done those things? My hand's up high. I'll never, and then, of course, that's what I did, right? That's what we do because the imprint of our dads is huge. Actually, there's a study out there. We talked about this a few years ago at Bethel, but there's a massive impact that parents, and the dads in particular, have on their children when it comes to church or following Jesus. Your moms, moms are amazing, and moms do an amazing work uh, keeping the house together, keeping the family together, keeping the unity together, the peace. Um, moms, we could not do without you. But the stats say that a dad that brings his children, his family to church has way more impact on his kids than mom does in the spiritual matters. And so dads, your role is really, really important. Do not give up. Keep going forward. Even when you don't want to get up and bring your kids to church, it's a really, really powerful thing. And not just on Sunday, but every day throughout the week, have a conversation with your kids, have a spiritual conversation with your kids, because that's going to be the biggest impact in your kids' lives when they're older. Um, one of the things that I like to do is, as a guy is I like to travel. Um, I'm away from my kids a lot. I didn't really think I would be uh, once we had children, but I began to travel and be away. And every time that I would return home, my kids were glad to see me, but they were more interested to see what I brought them. Because every time I go away, I'm always going to bring them something, whether it's a sticker or a keychain or a rock. It doesn't matter what it is. They're looking for me to bring them something when I return home, so I don't come home empty-handed. They really don't like it if I come home empty-handed. I give me a big old hug, and Dad, we love you, and what'd you bring me? <laughs> this is kind of like the, the, the conversation that goes with my kids. And so, of course, they're happy to see me, but they really expect me to bring something on my way back. We're talking about a reset, kind of a divine reset for the church. And I think what I want to make clear today is whether you're watching online or you're watching in person, God has allowed us to have a second chance at this thing we call church or at this thing we call the Christian life. He's, he's allowed us to come and do, have a do-over. 
And so we don't want to just come in and expect everything to be back the way they were. We actually want to take advantage of this reset, take advantage of this do-over, and do things differently. And so if there's things in our minds that we're like, I wish church would do this, or I wish my relationship with other believers would be this, or I wish that Jesus would do this in my life, Jesus actually wants to, and I think that Jesus has done a divine and a massive reset across the board, across our world, and we're still in the middle of it. This thing is not over. Uh, you guys watch the news sometimes. I don't watch it very much, but you guys probably know that on, the, on this thing that we're working through, the coronavirus, things are still happening. There's still massive outbreaks. There's still things that are happening around our state and, so, and around our country. And so if we're going to rush back to whatever normal is, we're going to miss the opportunity that God has given us for a reset. And so my question that I've been asking the last couple of weeks is, what's the point of a do-over if we just come back and do the same things we did before? What's the point of a do-over if we do them exactly like we did before? Because if we tried, I mean, all of us have tried normal, and for most of us, it didn't work. And so let's do something different. Let's come back different. We're asking God to stir us and to give us stirring orders. We're asking him to tell us what's next. We're asking him to give us the confidence to obey when he stirs. Today, we're going to explore chapter, the end of chapter one, first part of chapter two of Ezra. If you have your Bible app on your phone, you can follow us along on the live event. If you have your actual scriptures, you can go to Ezra, which is in the beginning part of the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. And we're going to be in Ezra chapter one. We're going to look at a few verses there and then into Ezra chapter two. Today, we're going to explore the people that actually returned to Jerusalem. I don't have time to do a complete summary of our series, but the Israelites found themselves in bondage. They were in captivity in another nation. God stirred the heart of the king, and he wanted them to return. Anyone who was a follower of God, anyone who was a, an ethnic Jew, he wanted them to go back to their homeland and rebuild the temple. King Cyrus was actually stirred of God to rebuild the temple of God. This was an unbeliever. This was a pagan. This was a man that was far from God, and yet God stirred his heart because God is in charge of who's in charge. Last week, we saw that if we don't move, we were never stirred. And if we were stirred and don't move, that's called disobedience. And so we want to call ourselves to, if God is stirring something, and I know he is in your hearts, I've heard it and I've seen it, I know he's done it in my hearts, I want us to be obedient to what he's calling us to. I'm not pushing for things to return to normal before those that are at risk are safe. I'm not asking for those that should not come to come back because being in this building does not mean that you're not a part of the church. This gathering under these four corners, under these four walls, does not mean that you're a part of the church. The church is far greater than that. Let's, let's define the church before we jump into our passage. The church is not the building. The church is not the property. The church is not religious activity. The church is not songs and preaching and teaching. The church is not about me, and yet it's also about me at the same time. The church is the gathering of God's people. It's a called-out assembly of God's people. It's for the worship of God Almighty. It's the chosen people of God on mission, the banner-bearer in the name of Jesus. The church is the bride of Christ. It was established on the blood of Jesus Christ. The church is being perfected and cleansed by Christ. The church will not fail. The church will not die. The church is powerful when it's unified. It's powerful when it's clarified. It's powerful when it is living for Jesus. The church is powerful when it's living for others. The 
church is a reconciler, a forgiver, a healer, a restorer. The church is the ultimate social justice warrior. The church is the ultimate protector of the marginalized. The church is the defender of the unborn. The church is the stabilizer in society. The church on mission is unstoppable. The church on mission is victorious. When we reduce the church to the gathering on Sunday morning in this building and buildings across our community, we strip it of its power that is at work six other days in the week. When we make the church all about Sundays, we miss the simple conversations that happen throughout the week. We overlook the heart of God that he's doing in the hearts and minds of people every day in our community. The church is not the building. The church is you. Why do we gather? Why should we return? Why should we set our hearts and affections as a gathering of church people? Because we all have something to celebrate. We all have been given new life and can lift our voices together as one worshiping God the Father. Because we've all been restored and forgiven. Because we need to be equipped for the most important conversations in our life that do not happen sitting in the chairs at Bethel Community Church. The most important conversations in your life happen in your living room, happen at your cubicle at work, happen on the street, happen at the store, happen at, the, at fast food. It happens all around the city because we all need to be poked and prodded and motivated to love and good works. We return week after week here because of what Jesus did and what he's called us to do. What did Jesus do? He obeyed the Father all the way to the cross. He laid his life down. He worshiped the Father. He's called us to unify in the Father. So I asked you this question last week. What has God stirred in your heart? What is God calling you to do? Maybe today you'll have a second chance to chase after his stirring call. Most of us are today are trying to make up our destiny and our identity and figure out who we are. Most of us are chasing personal security, family safety, and flourishing. These are all good things, and these are the very things that God offers to his children, the people of God. When we see scripture that there's a second chance, it's always about the hands of God stirring in people's hearts. A second chance starts when God stirs his people. In Ezra chapter 1, let's look at verse 5. It says, then God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to build the temple of the Lord. The temple had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. All the goods of the temple, all the precious uh, worshiping object has been, had been taken into a foreign land, into a pagan land, and stored up with pagan gods. And God touched the heart of this pagan king, and he said, I want you to send people back to rebuild the temple. And then God went and stirred the very people that were going to go. It says there in verse 6, it says, all their neighbors assisted them, giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey, livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. There was twenty to 60,000 people that went into captivity. The numbers are kind of varied all over the place, but twenty to 60,000 uh, people were carried off. These were the leaders, rulers. This was the social elites of the Jewish nation, the ruling class, the ones that were in charge. And mainly they counted the men, the heads of household. So after 70 years of exile... In chapter 3, we see that 40 through 42,360 people returned to Jerusalem. And some decided to stay in captivity. 
what this time has taught me, and maybe it's taught you, is that I have a choice to make. I'm asking myself the question, do I need the church? Is the church important for my life? Am I, am I, do I need to gather with other believers? Can I just do it on my own? Am I okay not connecting with other believers? And the truth is, some people have decided not to come back. Please don't misunderstand me. Like I said before, if you're compromised and you're not physically able to attend, this is not a call for you to do so. You are connected as best you can to continue the mission, even if it's not in person. Keep doing this. The church is not only this gathering of one hour a weekend. The church happens anytime two or three are gathered in the Father's name. The fact is, some will go back. Some will stay. But if you notice in this verse 6 that all gave. Everyone was involved in generosity. So the rest of chapter 1 tells us that King Cyrus himself gathered the articles of the temple that had been taken from Israel, and he personally gave them to the leaders that were returning. This was an obvious move of God. There's three things that the return involved. It involved gifts. And I'm not talking about like physical gifts. I'm talking about spiritual gifts. Like God had gifted these people to rebuild. He had gifted these people to lead. He had gifted these people to encourage. And so this involved, this returning involved gifts. We talked in week one with Pastor, Pastor Reuben that God has placed in each and every one of his children a gift that is supposed to be exercised in the church, that is supposed to be given in the church. And it's not for your benefit. It's for the benefit of the church. If you don't know what your gift is, please pursue it. Please find it. Please ask because we need you to return with your gift because our church is empty without it. The return also involved finances. If you look there, the people gave. And when we return, we return generous. You know, Bethel Community Church over the last several months has not stopped. We've continued. The bills have still racked up. And unfortunately, we've seen our giving just kind of tank. And it's because we're not here. And so we're like, well, I'm not here, so I don't need to give. Those of you that have given, man, thank you. Because we know it's not about coming and receiving a service, and so I'm going to pay for the service I received. It's actually what God can do through us and, and in us far more than we could ever ask or think. And God always does it just right. And so if you're here and you feel a stir of God to be involved generously, please do. The, revol- the return also involves others. We're, going to look, we're not going to look at this, but in chapter, three, or chapter 2, there's a whole group of people that wanted to go back with them. They were non-Jews. And they went with them on the journey. There are people that are not followers of Jesus Christ that are looking for hope, that are looking for an identity, that are looking for something different. And when we return to church, we need to make sure that we're bringing people with us because other people will take notice. Now, if you notice chapter 2, flip over there in your Bibles or in your Bible app. It's full of names of people who returned. Verse 1, here's the list of Jewish exiles of the province who returned from their captivity. King Nebuchadnezzar had deported them to Babylon. But now they returned to Jerusalem and their towns in Judah where they originally lived. So bear with me on these uh, names here. Their leaders were Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sarai, Reela, okay, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, Bana. For all those uh, Rona babies that have, you know, been conceived in the last few months, awesome names you can pick from right here. (laughs) This is the number of men of Israel who returned from exile. Would your name be on the list? Would you be counted among those that have returned? This is not an indictment. It's just a question to consider. 
Some will not come back. Some will look for a new normal elsewhere. Would your name be on the list? Now, if you read in that passage in Ezra 2, there is a names of tribes and how many people in each tribe. And they went down, they totaled that 42,000, almost 43,000 people. I want to skip down to verse 68. It says, when they arrived at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, I need you to place this picture in your mind because they, they arrived and the temple was not there. It was flattened. It was destroyed. There was nothing. When they returned and they saw where the temple should have been in all its glory, Solomon's temple, it spurred them to give a gift. It says they gave voluntary offerings toward the rebuilding of God's temple on its original site. And each leader gave as much as he could. The total of their gifts came to 61,000 gold coins, 6,200 pounds of pounds of silver, and 100 robes for the priests. No one was coerced. No one was forced. The, the stirring had caused extreme generosity because these men that had came, come back, they weren't coming back as poor slaves. They had come back prosperous. If you look in the book of Daniel, you'll see that God had called the people to prosper where they were in Babylon. And a lot of them had prospered while they were there. And they came back and saw the temple that they saw when they were children that was decimated and empty. And it stirred in them this desire to return with something in their hands. So here's the truth for today. Let us not return empty-handed and disunified. Bethel Community Church needs a unified gathering. It needs a unified generosity. It needs a unified understanding of the gospel. We need to return to a biblical understanding of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. It's as simple as that. Most of us don't even know enough about the gospel to share it with others. We've become biblically illiterate. Once again, I encourage you, get in this word. It's the most powerful activity you could do every day, and it's the only thing that will change your life daily. It's the only thing. No philosophy, no political agenda, no amount of money can change you like this can if you will get into it every single day. Not only are, it the, are the words of life in here, but the source of life is in here. If you don't know where to start, go to Proverbs and begin reading a proverb a day. It will change your life. So we need to return to a biblical understanding. The second thing is we need to return to an unapologetic stance for Jesus. Let me be honest for a second. <clears throat> Most of us care more about donkeys and elephants than we do about Jesus. Here's what I read in Scripture. There are four areas that the church should be known for. Racial justice. This means that all ethnicities are equal, created in the image of God. We will stand for the oppressed and the marginalized. We will not stay quiet when people are abused, mistreated, demoralized, or stripped of humanity. We will stand where there is injustice. I also see in Scripture that we need to care for the poor and the marginalized. We should be deeply concerned about the well-being of our community, especially the least of these. I see in Scripture a pro-life stance at the beginning of life and at the end of life. I see that sex for Christians should only be between a man and a woman in marriage. This is Scripture. Now, you can like it, you can take it or leave it. These are four things that you see from the beginning to the end of Scripture. But for some reason, we've been divided on all these main Christian issues. 
Christians have been at the forefront of movements to free slaves, promote women's rights, abolish sex trafficking, and fighting for the orphan and the elderly. But modern, trendy thinkers are now treat Christianity as oppressive, partly because in our quest for justice, we value human life, including before and after birth. So in following our faith, we insist that at least for the church, an exclusive sexual fidelity in heterosexual marriage, a view that until now was dominant in our society. This is not a Republican or Democratic issue. It's a Jesus issue. Our politics should never overshadow our stand for Jesus. Ever. Our politics should never overshadow our stand for Jesus. Here's what's interesting. The Israelites were taken into captivity for violating these very things. Justice, oppression, life, and sexual liberty. They had disobeyed God's law. We need to return to, the third thing is we need to return to a discipleship-based lifestyle. You know, Jesus promised an abundant life as well as a life of controversy. He said that you would be hated. He said that we should never take non-persecution for granted. Would you wear the cross around your neck if it automatically caused persecution instead of a key to financial success and earthly gain? One of the greatest strategies of Satan, the modern church is, to the modern church, is a lack of persecution. It's made us weak. It's diluted the gospel. It essentially has inoculated our resolve to live for Christ under any circumstance. We have become intoxicated with success, intoxicated with blessings, and intoxicated with peace. Let us await trials. That's what James tells us. Let us await persecution. That's what Jesus told us. Let us be ready for oppression and struggles. Jesus is coming. His kingdom is coming. And we know from the beginning, be strong and courageous, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. A discipleship-based lifestyle means that I pursue the abundant life while expecting some hatred along the way. Where do you find yourself? What are you returning to? Why are you coming back? Being Christian is not a habit. It's a lifestyle. Being Christian is not a habit. It's a lifestyle. Now it's time, not, now is not the time to retreat. Now is not the time to, now is the time to lean in. The mission to love and lead is more important now than ever. The importance of serving one another is now more urgent than ever. The message of Jesus is now more than ever. You know what isolation has done the last three months? It has caused people to be more depressed and more distressed and more oppressed by sin than ever before. People are more addicted to porn and substance abuse and depression than any other time in our history. The church, you, have the answer. This building does not have the answer. You do. Are you ready? I don't want us to waste a moment. I want our return with our hands and hearts full, hands ready to serve, mouths open to declare Jesus. Our community is waiting for our return. Our community is waiting for the return of the church. What I find in my Bible is that Jesus is still living. Jesus is still saving, and Jesus is still calling. My question is, will you answer? Pastor Reuben, why don't you come out? We want to talk about this for a minute. Um, as your pastors, and we want to ask ourselves, what is God doing in our hearts, and what does returning to church look like for us? Thanks, Andrew. So, Pastor Ruben, what does the returning to church look like for you the other six days of the week? 
Yeah, good, good question. I, I wrote some things down because I don't, number one, I don't want to miss it, and I don't want you to miss it um, either. And again, I'm going to be transparent, and I'll try to, to make it through it because we've had some conversations, and I've had some conversations even with my wife, and there's been, just been like a really, uh, I don't know how else to describe it, but a just a holy discontent of like, and this is personal. This is this is me. Um, and hopefully, maybe if you feel the same thing, this will help provide some clarity for what what God may be doing in your heart as well. Um, and I think this, I think I'm guilty of chasing after a vertical morality, and I forget the people that God has placed right in front of me horizontally. Um, So who's right in front of you? Let's talk about that. Who's right in front of you? My, 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 my mom and my dad are right yeah. in front of me. And they, they live in Michigan. I had the opportunity to go back. This was not in the script. <laughs> Sorry. You're good I at think, that, Ruben. You're good at yeah, that. Yeah, no. I had the opportunity to go back and have a conversation with, with my mom and my dad. My dad walked away from the church when he was 11, or when I was 11. My mom, a couple of years later, did the same. And for so many years, I thought it was because they were mad at God. For so many years, I and interpreted that as like, I mean, they, maybe they just don't like God anymore. My dad said this. I had the opportunity to sit down over coffee last Monday morning with my dad and my mom. And... He ran through scenario after scenario after scenario that my mom and dad had been abused by leadership and pastors who leveraged their position and their, their power to manipulate and to get what they wanted. And my heart is broken for people like my mom and my dad. Um, so I'm guilty because these pastors on the outside, and we can be guilty of this, I can be guilty of this, is that we're chasing after this vertical morality or this position or this uh, place of significance with God, and we forget the people that God has put right in front of us. And so this is an everyday thing. I wrote this. I said, I have the opportunity every single day to love God and love people. When I live like this, Sunday morning becomes more than a checklist item for me to try to somehow gain some sense of higher morality or better standing with God, but becomes one of many opportunities that I take advantage of throughout the week to worship God by serving others. Paul says this in Galatians 5, 1 through 5, and I want to read this to you because this rocked my world. Um, he says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. He said, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation of the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ 
You have fallen away from God's grace. Verse 5, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly await to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. Don't miss this because I missed it for a really long time. He says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. If that's true, it's impossible for me to live out my faith on Sunday morning. So it actually has very little to do with me showing up to a building week after week. And it has a whole lot to do with the people that God has put right in my path. And to actually love them, to actually do something that makes a difference in their life. Who cares if I show up week after week, if I don't serve the people that are right in front of me, or if I use my position as a pastor to manipulate, to get somebody to do what I want to do. That's what happened to my parents. And that's what's happening in communities around the world. We have to get back to the place where it says, my faith is working itself out by the way that I live, by the way that I love the people that are right in front of me. That happens every day. And I think to, to kind of piggyback on your point, for me, our, our church has never been like an entertaining church. You know, you're not going to come and just, oh, that was awesome. And then you leave. And we have a great time. We really do. Rock, paper, scissors. Awesome. That was fun. I mean, we have fun, For those who, but our who church, it out. <laughs> yeah, but our church actually is trying to connect believers to follow and to struggle through what it means to follow Jesus. And so when I think about who's in our community, I, every time I see someone in our church that is younger than me, man, my heart just goes, is excited. Because yeah. that means that there's someone younger than me following Jesus. And I'm not, I'm not very young anymore. And whenever, whenever I see a kid walk through the doors, man, my heart just is happy. Yeah. I love old people. You bold people, you know I love you. But you're almost dead. Seasoned individual. Seasoned you're, individuals. You're, you're on the way down, out. You're about to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's not a knock. Good job. Yeah. Mm. But anytime we see a younger person than ourselves, walk through those doors, gather in community, encourage someone, be broken for Jesus. Oh man, we, we should stop and celebrate because that means it didn't die with me. One of the things that pastors are accountable for is to shepherd but also be an example. But the church, you, are responsible for passing it on. And so if you haven't passed it on, if you haven't returned to church, and, I, and I'm not talking about returning in the last three months. I'm talking about this has been a lifestyle thing for years. We've been in isolation for years. Now, I don't want to be controversial here, but <laughs> I'm going to be controversial. This month is Gay Pride Month. And I want us to act like gay people. Now, hear me out. They have it a rainbow. And they're loud and proud. That should be said of every Christian, where we proclaim the promises of God that we see in the rainbow, and we're loud 
and we're proud about it. That should be said of every Christian. What are we returning to? We're not going to go back the way things were. <laughs> Here's the funny thing is, we've had these conversations. <laughs> we might tick some people off. But you know, when we get to heaven, God's not going to be like, hey, how many people you take off? That, that's not it. For pastors, what God's going to say is, hey, um, how did you shepherd? How did you guard? How did you teach? And how did you equip? And then he's going to ask you, so who's here because of you? Who, who did you pass it on to? Who did you teach like all the things that Jesus left you? Who did you teach that to? We need to make sure we're about returning with our hands full, hearts full, mouths open. Can I pray for you this morning? Let's pray. This morning we are in awe that you would even look upon us and consider us. I know humanity, God, and humanity is pretty hateful. Humanity is divisive, and humanity is anything but unified. We can find the smallest points to disagree. And yet Jesus, the great unifier, through one act on the cross, took all the disunity, took all the hate, took all sin upon himself. And that act of saying it is finished, the plan of redemption, the obedience to the Father, that one act changed history forever. And yet, God, we live today like we're still waiting for that moment. My, my prayer, God, as a church, as a, as a called-out assembly, as a congregation of believers, God, that we would be about standing for Jesus. That we would be about caring for one another. God, that we would be about loving people exactly where they are, no matter where they are. Jesus, we need you. We can't do this on our own. We need you to stir our hearts to action. We need you to stir our minds to worship. Put our hands to work. May you flow through us as loud as possible. Yeah, some people are going to hate us. Some people are going to despise us. But in the end, God, we are focused on the audience of one. And that's you. I pray today that your word would just flow through our hearts. God, if there's anyone here that does not know you, my prayer is that they find their identity in you today. That you heal the brokenhearted, that you fill the empty void, and you give new life and purpose. God, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, someone watching online that doesn't know you, I pray that you draw them close to the Father. Give them the heart of Jesus. Now put us to work. Let us return ready to go. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.